named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. My name is Sam Hunter from Home Search. I am not joined today by Mark Morrill. He is away on holidays, if you can believe it. Uh, Well-deserved break. I don't think Mark has actually had a holiday this year. So for him to have a couple of weeks off and spend some time with his family is long overdue. And as you will hear in today's podcast, taking time out and knowing when to firmly put your foot on the brake is one of the keys to success. You're not going to get too much of an intro from me today because I'm not that good at talking to myself, I don't think. So we're just going to dive straight in and introduce today's guest. I know I say this every week, uh, but it is a good one. Enjoy and I'll see you on the other side for probably an equally as quick wrap up. Today's guest says that he's seen a thing or two in his 24 years in the lettings business, and it's the new challenges that excite him the most for the next 24. And he says that renters have new priorities and demand better ways of finding their next home. They need new technologies and the ways of working as an estate agent need to evolve to meet their needs. Um, But all things being considered in those 24 years, he says the property still comes down to stories. He's here to talk today about how to push our boundaries and raise the bar of standards across the board. He's going to ask you if you're there with him. Spencer Lawrence, welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Good morning. Hope I did you justice. Thank you very much. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure indeed. <laughs> 24 years. That's, a, that's a, like a pretty good innings so far. How did, how did it all start? By default. <laughs> um, uh, th- many thanks to my mother. Uh, I was very happy working with my dad in his small building firm. And I had done on and off from 11 years old, just being on site, watching, learning, sort of loved the way properties evolved and how you could improve them and creating new spaces for people to enjoy. Uh, And that was a sort of real passion of mine. Unfortunately, hopeless with my hands, put me um, with a screwdriver or a drill. Things are just not good. Um, but the actual vision of property and, and, and creating these spaces is something that sort of remained really dear to me. And I think mum wasn't happy with that route, so she decided a CV into a, that she made up, obviously, because I hadn't done anything else other than laboured for my dad, um, into a recruiter, and I ended up at Anscombe and Ringland in St. John's Wood, in their accounts department on a three-day gig. I was there for two months, filing, walking past the sort of shop floor, the bars, the excitement, um, up to a sort of top office just with oodles of files and God knows what I, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. But, you know, the, the, the energy on that shop floor is something that I thought, wow, I'd like to try that myself. Um, and then was... Uh, lucky enough to get a job with Countrywide, great training for about 13 months, and then decided that an independent was the way for me to go, and the rest is history. 
Can we um, talk about, and this is an example of me saying to you before that I had a couple of questions, but I probably won't ask them. Um, talk to me about that time at, at Countrywide. Was it sort of the foundation of a, what's turned out to be a long career? And what was the training that you sort of mentioned there? And how has that set you up? The training was ongoing and that, that was a big pull for me because obviously I was very naive. I didn't know much about anything. Um, we were put into a back office in Brent Street in Hendon. Uh, the sales team were in the front and there were two people in this little sort of tiny section in busted up <laughs> seats and broken desks at the back. And we covered a ridiculously big area with no computers and, you know, rocking up to appointments where no one ever turned up and what have you. But the actual training about the sort of legal side of things, but also just that uh, relationship building, that was really important. And I think what happened there is I sort of wanted to accelerate through and learn more and more. But back then, I don't know, obviously, how it works now, but back then, it was very staggered. You had to be in certain positions for certain lengths of time before you could move on and learn some more stuff and that just didn't work for me I was you know knowledge hungry and I thought that I would um, do better in an independent where I was less of a sort of number and more of a individual and trying to go around, you know about things in a slightly different way when I joined Paramount and you know the reality of that is you know the first five years are littered with thousands of mistakes omissions and errors I actually, but that was a fast track learning for me rather than waiting and waiting. It just, that, that it, it wasn't me. Um, so I was super grateful um, for my time at Countrywide. It was 13 months and it was, it, was a, it was sort of rubber stamping what I thought I would love about agency. And um, yeah, I look back fondly on those days. They were, it was just crazy working you know, you turn up at nine o'clock at night in a property in Collindale and the applicant didn't turn up, but there was no way of contacting them. Mm. You just sat there. It's half an hour reasonable. It's 45 minutes reasonable. And then the next morning, oh, I was an hour late. I'm so sorry. But they call into the office and that's how you'd know. It's just like, um, but it was, it was, it was fun and it, you needed high energy and, you know, people um, were sort of, you know, Lettings was really new then. It was nine, 1997. Um, but it, it was a, a big learning curve and, you know, uh, a stepping stone into the big world of Lettings that, you know, I still love to this day. Mm. Um, let's talk about that high energy um, because I think you made a point before that said that you were knowledge hungry. And I'm going to ask you a question later on about whether you think that um, hunger for self-improvement is almost like a prerequisite for building a, a successful career in agency, but high energy, I think, particularly in lettings, because I mean, I'm not going to lay claim to knowing what it was like back in 1997, but <laughs> um, I thought it was fairly um, fast moving when I was in Australia. And I remember coming over here and my mind was sort of blown. Like you couldn't really have a day out of the office because you would lose momentum in the deals. There'd be new stuff. It would come, it would go, new stuff would come and go. Um, how did you sort of maintain that high energy? And is it, was it just that, that drive to learn more and to improve more and to maybe be confident enough to know that you'll actually learn from those? I, I wrote down here, five years littered with mistakes, 
know, uh, was it was it the hunger to get better and was it the high energy that kept you not not sort of resting on the errors and, and actually learning from them I, I think learning from one's mistakes is super important um i'm a firm believer you know in in sport that you learn a lot more when you get trounced than when you you know come across come um um, across the line at the end of the uh, match in rugby, for example, and you've, you know, five, tr five tries up to none. Um, I'm not sure what you've learned there. And as a, you know, sort of rugby coach looking after two kids, year groups under 11s, under 15s, I know that when they've got beaten, it's hard, really hard for the hour after the game. But the next day when we have our catch up, they've learned so much, yeah. you know, they're, they're better players for that. And I think you know, in terms of high energy back then, I didn't really know anything else. That's the only thing I had because um, I certainly didn't have the knowledge that I wanted. So I had to ensure that energy was high. And in hindsight, I was running on fumes. I probably wasn't learning particularly well. I was throwing loads of hours at it. Um, that was my sort of father's way and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it, it, it got me to where I, I am now. And I guess you do need high energy at all times in lettings, even today. You just need it at the right times in the right places. And you need to know when to, when to push that accelerator. And, but you need to know when to firmly push that brake. And back then, I, I didn't have a brake. It was a roller coaster just going down that cheese, down the hill going ever faster and you know it wasn't without its challenges and you know I had a couple of wobbles way back when you know um with dealing with stress and um having to check out for a month or so from work which was really tough and worrying because you've got young family and um yeah so is it the perf was it the perfect path absolutely not it was just my path <laughs> yeah um Let's talk about the, the I, I like what you said there about throwing hours at problems. Um, and I don't know if you could see, not that this is going to be any benefit to the listeners, but I sort of sat up in my chair when you said that because it, I, I know that. Um, and I was saying to you, my daughter kept us up last night and usually I'm the one that causes my sleepless nights, not anybody else. So I'm probably grateful when it's not me throwing hours at problems, right? Um, can you talk us through, and, and I guess, we're having this conversation because you and I sort of got to know each other through some work that we did with agents together. And there was a big focus on how do we help people um, manage their energy better, which is, I think, a really uh, nice way of talking about mental health and how do we help people run less on fumes and more on, you know, the right sort of fuel, I guess. So can you talk us through some of the lessons that you learned about that stress management, about how you got to be high energy on your own terms um, rather than just, keeping on going to the point of, of breaking? Well, what actually happened, I didn't, I wouldn't say complete, I wasn't completely broken, but I, I was fully aware that I was not the person I wanted to be. Mm. Um, and ultimately what happened was when life changed for me and our you know, young family came along, um, I was acutely aware that I had fallen out of love with a job that I was doing and I wasn't spending any time with the ones that I loved because I was trying to support and provide for them. Mm. And I was just living this sort of, you know, driving, getting up in the morning, 
everyone's asleep, coming back at home, everyone's asleep. And while I was at work, I'm looking around thinking, why aren't I with the guys at home? Because I'm here trying to... And you, you just get, you know, you get trapped, I guess. You just get in this sort of rut. Um, and that's, that's, I think, really easy to happen uh, to anyone. And I, I guess surround yourself with people that really care about you, that can see these early warning signs. Um, be brave enough to open up. I was a, you know very proud, insular individual that would never share any of my sort of fears or worries back then because I thought that was a big weakness. And again, in hindsight, that I wish I could go back and have a chat with myself about that. Um, opening up to, you know, your partner, people you work with, that was the hardest one for me. Um, but, you know, integrating with things, you know, like with Property Academy seven years ago, being part of um, agents giving, the agents together thing has massively helped um, us as a business and how we interact as a group. So I, I think we need to be acutely aware that we need to keep an eye out for each other. Um, you know, and very recently, you know, you checked in with me, which was uh, a pretty special thing. It's just a quick WhatsApp, but actually just knowing someone's there. And I got a couple of messages recently from Josh in Oz, Josh Fegan, and just how are you, buddy, checking in, and he's sending me a picture of something that he's just had built at the back of his house, and it's just like that connection piece, and that's, that's the bit of life that really matters. It's that the people connection and then creating those sort of small memories, you know, you know, interacting well and letting a flat or two or managing a property really well or a great take on. Yeah, that's all important, but it's not the good stuff mm. and I think there should be a real focus everyone should have a list of what the good stuff is what their good stuff is and then measure and adjust that over time and make sure that they're spending a good amount of their time weekly monthly yearly within that good stuff and I think um, often we just you know end up in the rat race and purely looking at work um, and maybe in some ways that's an easier route out, you know. Um, and it, maybe it's more difficult to be that sort of open individual. Um, but certainly off the back of um, Agents Together, we've had really frank, open discussions in the office. I know that um, Matt Nichol, um, you know, shared a video of two of his team having a conversation. And this is like, wow, like these, this, this, is, this is where we need to get to. And we're just sort of scratching the surface of what needs to happen here. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a hard industry. And um, the, the way that we will improve it is by having each other's backs and actually make it a more inviting industry for more creative minds to want to come and work in. And that's, you know, that's what I want to be part of. And I think you should sort of be commended for sharing everything you've just done there but also for the work that you sort of done in your own business and, and with everyone else as well you know the, the point that you make about the small memories and the connection piece is what really matters um, and it's easy particularly when you are playing that game of what always seems like catch up um, and, and you always think to, and this is classic salesperson mentality it doesn't matter whether you're in lettings whether you're in sales whether you sell printers to businesses 
you're you're remiss to take time out because you feel like you're going to be missing out on something even if you structure your time really well and you sort of protect the good stuff um but you always think and this is why i think people end up burning out um rather than then sort of breaking as I, I probably wrongly said before i think it's because um you don't have that confidence to know that you'll pick things up again and things will come back to you and it is okay to actually stop. Um, how long do you think it took you to, to come to that sort of realization or to have the confidence in the fact that you can, uh, I think you said before, like firmly put your foot on the brake. The, the first time I was aware of it uh, was around 2011, 2012. A uh, young family and just trapped. Didn't know where I was going. Knew it was wrong, but didn't know, didn't really have the tools to, to change it. I didn't think. Um, so I just buried my head in the sand and carried on working. Um, one or two things happened to me where, you know, I needed to have a little bit of time out of the office. Um, and that was a big reality check. Um, I had a problem with uh, a vi my vision and ended up having a, a bit of a fit and ending up in A&E and calling my wife. And that was really, that, that was like the bottom. <laughs> that was a low point. It's like, Spence, you need to listen to this. Like, if you're not going to listen to this, what are you going to listen to? Mm. I started to tidy my act up. I, you know, started, I've always been interested in the gym, but I was much more systematic about what I did in the gym and making sure that I did stuff that I enjoyed to do rather than just going to the gym and doing the same old stuff. Um, you know, being, doing things with other people is really fun. Like, you know, should we go and play badminton? Like I started doing that before lockdown with my daughter and that was just brilliant on Sundays, you know, when neither of us are particularly good, but it's not, that's not the point. Um, and then I guess around that sort of time, our youngest got involved in rugby at Ealing Trail Finders. And I would say that without doubt was a turning point in my life um, because rugby has given me a, sen a, a heightened sense of the necessity of team because you got 15 people on the pitch. If one of them isn't, isn't quite performing, um, the other 14 will, you know, make sure that that person is okay and, and they have a deep understanding that you know even if you have a superstar on the pitch um and the other 14 are not up to it you, you're not gonna you're not gonna be playing at peak performance but at the same time they go on the pitch and it's a, a battle and they walk off the pitch and both teams are friends and like they're they're learning from each other and it's highly competitive but then it's collaborative almost as soon as that whistle ends at the end of the game but then that sort of family um, feeling at the club and people really sort of caring. And they didn't, I guess I was, nobody knew who I was. And I love that sort of being anonymous for a bit, like I, having to perform every day and being on top of your game, you know, for many, many years was a, started to be a struggle, evidently. Um, and then slow, slowly but surely, you know, being an interesting dad on the side. And then now I've gone and done my RFU coaching badges. So now I can actually, you know, be part of, you know, their learning and their improving. And, and some of the stuff that I've learned from the RFU, we've 
we've brought it straight back here. You know, cards is one of the big things. So, you know, if you, you need to be creative, um, you need to be aware. So at work, situational awareness, you need to be resilient, decision-making. And then the last one is self-organizing. And the team here, you know, they'll talk to you about that. And that makes me massively proud because it's like they're talking about the rugby uh, inside the walls of Paramount. So it's like, <laughs> what, what can we learn from other sports and other industries to make ourselves better? And I guess, you know, uh, just before COVID, the season before COVID, I walked out onto the pitch at Twickenham and with my under 11 team and stood on the side. I mean, I was, you know, an awful rugby player. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, hopefully a, a semi-decent coach for, in youth. And I stood there and just thought, this is one of the best days of my life. And, the, you know, these guys and girls went on the pitch and played their hearts out and came off and they were like, we just played on the pitch at Twickenham. That, that's like, that is just one of those memories that will stick with me forever. I got a picture of me and our youngest. Um, and we've been invited back. So hopefully next season we'll go get a chance to go on again. And I just think um, that, that you've you got to recognize when your moments are, when the, I, I firmly believe in there's like a tap, tap on the shoulder. And I, I've had a few taps on the shoulder. Um, I had uh, five years ago, a um, major back surgery. And um, to cut a very long story short, it was, 50-50, whether I was going to be able to walk again. And there was a chance that if this thing inside my spinal column was cancer, then I wouldn't be here anymore. And uh, that was six months of hell. And we had to sort of work out what we we're going to do as a family and, um, you know, who, who's going to look after my wife and how's that going to work and what's going to happen with the business and all this different stuff. Anyway, fast forward. Thank God it wasn't cancer. It was a cyst. Uh, a year of recovery later. And then after that, with a couple of um, people from the office, I did at the time the longest assault course in the world um, in a really slow time. <laughs> but I did it. Yeah. Uh, we did it. And I did it because it was like to banish that horrible phase of my life where, you know, my back injury controlled me and my family. And um, I guess I seen that as a bit of a second chance. Um, I'm a lot healthier than I ever was. Um, I don't eat meat, you know, my alcohol content was, is next to nothing from maybe drinking a bit too much at times for sure. Um, and I guess, you know, to wake up with clarity of thought, clarity on purpose, as Josh talks to me regularly about, you know, have a deep understanding of my why, making sure I speak to my parents on a regular basis, say hi to my sister every week. Um, because those, those little things matter, you know, those little things matter. And, and, and I think we get so preoccupied with a sort of, and I was completely like making this paramount as, as good as we can make it. But actually, we didn't have the right foundations to make it anywhere near as good as it could be. And, you know, we're, we're basically taking it down and rebuilding it from scratch. That's what, that's ultimately what we're doing right now with a firm understanding that it's not just about the building. The building needs to be good. It's the people inside that count. Mm. <laughs> you mentioned something before that I think 
I mean, I, I, anybody who sits there and talks about how sport relates to business is going to capture my attention uh, for far too long, I think. Um, and, and you said before that you've learned a lot about through your rugby coaching and the necessity of team. Yeah. Um, and then it's very clear, even with the last thing you just said then about what you're doing on the foundations of the business and actually working on the people and how they probably work with and for each other rather than just being colleagues. Can you sort of talk us through um, some of the stuff that you're doing to build that team, to grow your team, um, what a good team looks like to you? A good team looks like people with smiles on their faces doing stuff that they love to do at a time of the day that they want to do it interacting with our audience in a way that suits them and suits our audience. So you've got to, you know, you've got to be super flexible. Um, and we got it wrong for so long. And I, you know, the Royal we, I got it wrong for such a long time because I guess I didn't really know any other ways, like throw the hours at it. Mm. Um, and ultimately building that great team is what things have we recently done? Well, People can come to work whenever they want, work for as long as they want, take holiday whenever they want. And they have a little sort of agreement with their sub team. So we make sure that we are battle ready for business, but people have also got that capacity to take some downtime, you know, take a delivery for something at home that, you know, like you don't need to ask me for that. Like I don't, just let's let's just live our lives and we all mesh together i think having people that really have a deep understanding on the values and the culture of the business is massively important um we let the team teams employ their own colleagues without in intervention it's quite scary but we gave it a go and so far so good and cool. what happens is you have complete buy-in because it's not like, you know, look, look who's joined in. It's like, actually, we can't wait because this is the person we wanted. We selected mm. them. We, you know, obviously, um, if anyone wants to speak to um, senior team members, we're always available. But ultimately, we let the teams decide when they need more resource and what type, what that resource will look like. Um, pooled commission, bigger basics. So you don't have the consultants having to sprint up that mountain every day. Um, that's something that made me feel massively anxious in my career for many, many years, especially when, you know, we had two children in close succession and life was really tough uh, for a while there. And knowing, knowing that you're in, in a, working with a group of people with with a common goal and everyone understands there is an opportunity piece in every conversation but also that they're, they're here to have fun and enjoy it mm. and you know to grow professionally but also personally so for example you know if um, jess who's recently joined us as a consultant as crazy as it sounds for cancer uh, for a charity dear to her heart, she's uh, in one-on-one -on -one in a in a in a boxing ring 
in a couple of months time. <laughs> She's invited us to go. I'm not sure we're going to get quite protective over her, but I'm sure it'll be <laughs> fine. I, I'm a bit worried about it. Um, and, you know, actually investing in people in their training and making sure they've got enough downtime and, you know, asking people, you know, what, what we can do for them, like what type of things, what sort of soft skills, what, you know, yoga classes, and we've got um, part of the um, Agents Together piece is everyone now has a budget to go and invest in themselves, um, courtesy of us, and is no questions asked, like go and do the stuff that makes you smile. So when mm. you come back in, you're in a, you're in a better place. And I, I, I think, you know, uh, in the past when i've sort of when thought about it or spoken to other people they're sort of yeah well how do you know if people are you know if they're shirking or well if the truth be known i don't i don't know if they are or if they're not but what i can tell you is the audience our audience are much more receptive and happier with this team than they were with the team 18 months ago mm. that that to me is success because it's all about our audience being happy and the team being happy, interacting with our audience. That, 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 that's all that really matters to us. Um, and that's our big driver. You know, we're not big on KPIs and number of calls and who sent the email and who's in for the longest and all that stuff, because none of that is important. We don't think. No, I, I um, agree with... Uh almost everything that you've said there. Um, I, I really like the idea of the employees recruiting their own colleagues um, because, yeah, you, you avoid that first day for you, <laughs> what's going on, and it's, people will genuinely welcome them into the business. Um, yeah. I just wrote that down because I think actually we're, we're on a, a bit of a hiring run at the moment here as well. Um, and we've had some really like strong success over the last few months. Um, and we want to make that continue. And I think actually the next tranche might be a bit of employee led, which would be quite cool. And another thing that I can try and delegate and then keep the barriers up instead of slowly winding the window down and peeking over and putting my hand and fingers back in where they don't belong. I think it's a great way to empower the team. It's like yeah. you're showing the ultimate trust, aren't you? And when that was suggested first, they came in, uh, two of the team came to me and said, well, I can, we can actually just say yes. Like an employee, someone's like, yeah, totally. Like, well, you're going to see them, aren't you, Spence? It's like, no, I don't need to see them. Just make sure you're happy. What, what are the gaps? What do we need? Mm. And make sure that person loves working in the gaps that we've currently got. Okay, fine. And then a couple of months later, they come back and say, hey, we've offered someone a job. I said, fantastic. Do you want to see her? No, no, no. I'll see her on her first day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, but now it's done. And it's, it's been magical to watch, really. And ultimately, you know, if, you, if you're going to, trust people um, by giving them a job, then you need to trust them full stop. Because mm. otherwise, if you don't, you've hired the wrong person to start with, surely. Yeah, I think that there needs to be more responsibility on when things don't go wrong from the people who've made those decisions because you've, you've missed something along the way. That's been a real learning for me over the last couple of years. And actually, I've just gone through an exercise with, with our recruitment team of being like, where in the past, where do you feel we've gone wrong? You know? Um, and they've been so great in like almost coaching me to ask better questions and to not take the first answer as the answer and to dig to that level deeper to make sure that you are, what you just said there about make sure the person loves the gaps that you're filling. Um, I think that's hugely important. You've got to say, this is the problem that we have. Does it excite you to solve it? Um, no matter how sort of menial. 
I've got two questions left for you uh, and I'm conscious of your time. Um, one is what I ask everybody at the end of these podcasts, but first I, I want to go back to the um, no KPIs, uh, no targets, things like that, because I, I like that mentality. I think taking that pressure away from people to just offer a really fantastic service does deliver big results. But I want to ask you, what, what do you measure um, if, if you do? Because I, I think it's important to measure like key parts of the business. And then if somebody isn't perhaps performing to the standard that you or your colleagues expect, how do you sort of manage that with these, um, the, the structure that you have in place? So it's certainly um, public praise when things are going right. Um, and if things are not quite right, then it would be um, off grid, um, just a quiet conversation, a walk around the block, whatever that might be. Obviously, because of the sort of openness around mental health and how people are feeling and all the rest of it, since we've had that dialogue a few months ago, people are much more open to being open. <laughs> so um, we, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm just not feeling so good today. You know, what's up? Like, do we need, do you need some time out or is this, is it professionally related? Is it personally related? So obviously there are some high level, you know, measurements that we, that we make, but ultimately, um, you know, the things that we really, metrics we're really looking at is like seasonal surges. So we look at when, new business is going to peak, when renewals are going to peak, when maintenance is going to peak, we dissipate refurbishments in our quieter periods, because ultimately you want to not have these crazy peaks and troughs because you want to be working at 80% capacity. That's a healthy capacity for anyone to be working at. And if you don't deal with those seasonal peaks and troughs that definitely lives in the world of lettings, you're going to have a team 100% in November, December and January who are going to be way behind capacity and then for the summer months when lots of young families want to go away on holiday you're going to be short staffed how do you get people to cover that in they're going to be over capacity so actually you start then having issues with energy levels illness adrenaline is low stress levels are affected so what we what we're measuring is how do we create balance over a 12-month period because if you've got the right team in the right places on the bus and you've got a nice balance over your 12 months um, cycle, then you're far less likely to have issues with individual members of the team. Mm. So that's what we look at. Cool. Um, I don't know if you've, if, you've, if you've listened to the show before, you'll know what's coming, but um, we ask every guest that we have on the show, the same question to finish because it provides a really nice baseline. Um, it's almost like your hypothesis um, on, on an industry. Um, and then we get to sort of see the similarities amongst people who've been doing it for 24 years or people who've been doing it for 12 months. Um, and the question is, what does world-class state agency look or mean like to you? I think if it's going to be simplified, it's a industry that needs individuals who are obsessed with their audience. 
And then more than that, I think you need to be brave enough to measure and adjust and adapt your offering on a very regular basis because the world is changing mm. at an incredible rate. And if you think you're in the sweet spot, you need to change because in three months time, it's not going to be the sweet spot anymore. And how do we know what to do? How do we, how, how do we know what behaviors and what offerings we need to provide to our target market? Well, you've got to check in with the audience all the time. And sometimes you're going to hear stuff that you don't want to hear. Mm. So in, to simplify it, obsess, be obs totally and utterly obsessed with your target audience and then measure and adjust around your findings when liaising with them. I'm, re I'm, I'm struggling to sort of write everything that you sort of said there, but I think um, to summarize at least the first bit is, is you've got to be totally obsessed with your audience and you've got to look again, it comes back to what you talked about when you're trying to fill the right people in your business, you look for the gaps in your business and you find people are excited to fill them, right? The way that you find those gaps is often you ask your customer, what more can we be doing? What are your expectations? Did we meet them? Did we exceed them? And, and then like you say, measure and adjust and, and keep that obsession going. Um, and I'm, I'm, I wonder if that's probably a question that your team can ask the next people that join Paramount is like, are you obsessed with getting to know our customers? Are you obsessed with like making their experience better? And if the answer isn't a resounding, like smiling, leaning into the camera, yes, then probably they they might not be the right fit for your colleagues and maybe not exactly. the business. I, um, I think I think I think it's um, a, a case with the audience as well of knowing who your audience is, mm. and and you know, making sure that there is a beautiful marriage going on all the time. Because I think we sometimes try and look elsewhere for an audience rather than focusing on what we're good at. And I think, I do think that's, you know, super important. Know your audience, work with them. Maybe then your um, answer to that uh, world-class agencies, you need an industry whose individuals are totally obsessed with first understanding uh, and then serving the audience rather than just throwing out what you think is going to be best practice and hoping for the best. Yeah. Which I think, you know, we've all been guilty of. 100%. For, for sure. Yeah. It's an easy mistake to keep making too, because you learn, again, your point of if what you're doing now is the sweet spot, it moves in three months. You know, we've, we felt like here that we've been sprinting for nearly three years and <laughs> some of our product team are like, when are we just going to stop like moving it on? <laughs> You know, we want to go back and we want to make things faster. And we think, well, no, the, the practice is evolving. Our, our customers' customers' expectations are moving. So if we don't stop, some, like if, if we stop, somebody else will pick it up. So I'm glad it's not just us. And you do sort of have to keep evolving. I think that's what keeps it exciting, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, Spencer, I, I uh, said off air that this usually goes for 20 or 25 minutes and we've been sitting here talking for 45. So I just, I, I want to say a thank you um, from, from me, from Mark, from all our listeners for not only sharing um, stories about your business, but stories about you um, and about how they can apply to a wider industry as well. I think it's been hugely valuable um, and it will get you on next time. We can have more banter at the start as well. So yeah, <laughs> no from all of us, thank you very much. Our pleasure. Thank you. Another massive thank you again uh, to Spencer Lawrence from Paramount for joining us and for joining me 
this morning. I always find it really weird to talk to myself at the end of these uh, when Mark is not here, and I'm sure he does the same. Though we are much better as a double act, uh, I think, than a than a solo act. Um, another example of when you meet somebody and you say to them before you hit record, usually these things take 20 or 25 minutes. You end up talking for nearly an hour because there's just so much. I, I had a list of questions that I was going to ask Spencer about how do you go about building clients for life in lettings and how many of your clients make decisions on fee alone, but we didn't need to get there. I think the conversation went in a direction that provided us all um, with so much value. And hopefully Spencer, if you're listening to this reinforced, some of the good things uh, and the journey that you're on as well. Um, I'm not going to sit here and talk uh, in my tiny little room uh, for however long repeating and recounting every single point, but that there are a few things that I think warrant um, further sort of digestion, uh, let alone discussion. Um, and I think they're going to be points that resonate uh, with you as you're listening to this as well. You know, Spencer talked about starting by default. Uh, like so many of us do. Um, we got into this because there was a way in which we thought we could do better. In Spencer's case, his mum just wanted him to get a job that wasn't with his dad. Um, but he has this love of, you know, I think he said something like creating, he likes to, the idea of creating spaces for people to enjoy and because he couldn't build them. He wanted to help people move into them and facilitate that. You know, training, where would he be without training? Where would any of us be without training we would have no real idea but I think one of the first sort of key points that I, I noted down and then bolded after this was he talked about his first five years being littered with thousands of, of mistakes now I think thousands is, is potentially hyperbolic um, maybe not um, but I think the key thing out of that for me and again what got me leaning closer into the zoom screen there was everybody makes mistakes um, and if you're not making mistakes, then there is every chance. And actually I would guarantee that you're just not doing the work. Um, and they're, they're a part of life. You know, I, I, I don't think there's a week that goes by that is not largely positive, but doesn't have obstacles. And of those obstacles, I would say that seven out of 10 of them, uh, more often than not, uh, ones that I've self-generated because I've tried something and it hasn't worked, you know, or I don't have the necessary leadership experience or management experience or business experience to not make that mistake once at least. But the key is to learn from it, right? And to realize that actually that's part of the journey and you're building the best version of your business, the best version of yourself as you get along with that, you know, and it's actually that commitment to grinding your teeth and getting through your mistakes rather than just quitting. Um, that's going to pay dividends for your business uh, in any personal life for the rest of your life. You know, I think really strong and this Spencer's example of how they've made adjustments. And he said something great at the end about their audience and how their audience loves their business now more than they did 18 months ago when they started going through this journey. Um, and it's that, that sort of sets the business up, you know, great businesses, great people are born, they're made and they're made through resilience. Um, through having the courage to, to make mistakes. I, I, again, not the froth on uh, how sport and business relate so closely, but talking about rugby and learning about the cards, competencies, you know, about creativity, awareness, resilience, decision-making, 
Um, and then I think it's self-awareness. I think I probably got that wrong. Um, but to put that into a cards perspective and to be able to then refocus that into the way that the business operates, I think is hugely important. And it's, it's clear why now their business is probably operating at a higher level more consistently. Um, I reckon everyone we've spoken to on this show has gone through, um, Spencer said, the moments where you're, where you're tapped on the shoulder. Um, and you have those moments in life where you've got an opportunity to turn around and listen to them and you realize whether your business isn't where you want it to be or perhaps you're not the person that you want it to be you falling out of love with the job you're not spending enough time with the right people you feel like you're trapped in a rut doing those menial stuff all day every day and it's so easy just to ignore them and it's so easy just to keep going on um, the hardest thing you can do is genuinely to take stock and to look and to understand and, and challenge yourself on what's working, what you really enjoy versus what isn't, you know, and it comes down to, and this is probably out of everything that we spoke about um, in that sort of 45 minutes, it was um, Spencer mentioned two things, right? It's what creates those small memories with people, whether they're in your business, whether they're your clients, whether they're your friends, whether they're your family, it's all about life is about those small memories and life is about, having a connection to the people in your life. And that's what really matters. And I think it's really important that when we're talking about numbers of instructions or we're talking about how many valuations we've gone and we're talking about how many people we have through the door, we're delivering feedback on pricing. We're delivering feedback on marketing, whether it's been successful, whether we need an adjustment. It comes down to how well you're connecting with the people that are part of all those different things. And if there's connection there, it's going to be received in the right way. If there's not connection there, it's going to be a difficult conversation to have. And that is genuinely what good agency comes down to. And that, that brings me on to sort of the final point that I want to run through with Spencer. And again, because it's just me talking now, I don't want anybody listening to think that there wasn't more than just five minutes of content to wrap up there. It's just really difficult to stare at a Zoom screen and talk even when you've got all these notes in front of you. I would urge you to go back again and, and listen. Um, and that might be something we had some really good feedback from uh, a show a couple of weeks ago where we didn't actually do a wrap up. We said, go back and listen. Everybody did. And they've actually ended up implementing stuff rather than just listening to Mark and I rattle on. So Spencer, if you are listening to this, it's not a comment on you. I want people to go back and, and hear it from your mouth, not mine. But if we talk about how, how Spencer defined world-class agency, you know, it's, it's an industry of individuals who are totally obsessed with their audience first understanding them. So who is my ideal customer? Who are the people that I'm going to be serving every day? Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Are they tenants? Or are they landlords? And what do they expect from me? And what are they going to expect from me in three months' time? And what are they going to expect from me in six months' time? What will they expect from me in five years' time? I'm actually, I am regretting not asking, like, how do you keep your clients happy for life? How do you keep them for life? How do you obsess about your clients so much? But I think it's a really good excuse to have Spencer back on again and to talk about that as well. You know, and I can't agree with that with that world-class summation enough. You need to be obsessed with your audience. You need to be obsessed with your customer. You need to have them at the center of everything that you do. Your marketing is about your customer. Your recruitment is about your customer. You know, the way in which you answer the phone every day. I used to work at a company in Australia called Harcourts and we're trained to answer the phone. If it's the office phone rather than your mobile, if it's great day at Harcourts, Sam speaking not just hello Sam speaking and as somebody who speaks to 
a reasonable number of, of estate agents every day. I can't tell you how many of them, but it's a very high percentage. Just answer the phone with hello or just answer the phone with their business name and don't actually introduce them back. That's not being obsessed with your customer. That's not being obsessed with your audience. That's not understanding what their expectations are of you as well. So you need to have those regular conversations, as Spencer said, and you need to actually be willing to hear the challenges. You know, we, we get really positive feedback in our business all the time. And we also get challenging feedback all the time, usually from the, the best clients that we have because we need to improve and they force us to improve because they want what we can deliver better is going to deliver better for them. And you need that kick up the ass to, as Spencer sort of said, like make sure that you are measuring and adapting so that your sweet spot keeps moving forward with your customer's sweet spot. So what a great episode. Again, I think if you've got another 45 minutes at any stage this week, go back and listen to it again. You know, don't worry about hearing me pratter on at the start and the end, but listen to the way that Spencer has changed their business in a very short period of time and how he's actually learned from a very long and successful career. Um, and now would appear to be enjoying it more, being more successful than perhaps he ever does. So again, from me, Mark, and everyone listening, Spencer, if, if you are catching this, thank you so much. Um, for everyone else that's listening, do me a favor. Um, we do this every week. Uh, and Mark always says this because we love what we do and we love our industry. And we genuinely like Spencer said at the start, we want to challenge it and we want to see it get better and we want to improve it. If you got any value at all today, if you found yourself listening to this and saying, I'm going to do that today, share this episode on social media, tag Spencer in it and show some gratitude to him as well for giving up his time and sharing everything with you. My name is Sam Hunter. Mark, we'll all be back next week. Thank you very much. And we'll see you soon.